From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. Today, we're talking about social security. How do you determine when to take social security? When is the optimal time to take it? Now, obviously, that varies based on your situation, financial or otherwise, but what are the general guidelines to know and understand when taking social security would be optimal? Many, many, many people make that uh, pitfall of taking it either too early. You can even take it too late, believe it or not. Michael and Adam go in-depth into how you should be thinking about Social Security in relation to your financial situation and even your health situation. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast, Keep It Simple, each and every week. If you have an email suggestion, in other words, a suggestion for a podcast, for an episode, for uh, just any question you might have in general, be sure to email us at podcast at assetbuilder.com. We really appreciate uh, when you reach out. It really helps our podcast stay on topic and be more in tune with what could help you in your financial life. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let's get to the show. Good afternoon, guys. How are y'all doing today? Doing well. Doing really well. Yeah, doing good. Excited for today. Now, we are actually re-recording this intro. We had a really good intro just a few minutes ago, and... uh, I forgot to record, so now we're trying to salvage it as best we can. What do you think about that, Adam? That's okay. I mean, I'm sure by now everyone knows it was just more ageist <laughs> banter between Michael and I, and you know, it's probably old hat, so probably best that we missed it. Adam basically said, of course, Michael knows a lot about Social Security. He is getting lubies at dinner <laughs> thinking about Social Security. That's essentially what he I said. Know. That's a little more aggressive than the way I went about it, but the spirit yeah. of the joke is intact. Just as yeah. funny. So, Michael, what are we? What are we talking about? Michael, you were talking about how we do get the social security question. When do we take it? Uh, right. We get yeah, it yeah, yeah. So, I think the the thing about social security is, for most people, um, you know, we talk about, or it's common that people discuss the three legs of retirement income, and so one of the three legs on a stool. Uh, if you think about a stool supporting you, uh, one of the legs is Social Security. And there are people who uh, live on basically only Social Security. Uh, there are people f- for whom Social Security is one of two legs and, and instead of three. And so it is a very mm-hmm. big component of what people uh, are going to be receiving in retirement. It also represents, you know, over a person's life, if you, you know, retire it, sorry, sorry, if you begin taking it, let's say at 65 and you collect it for uh, your lifetime, the the amount of benefits that you collect over uh, a period of time is going to be pretty significant. And so um, it it's wrong to just think, that's eh, no big deal, do it whenever it's good that people are calling and people are concerned and people are curious um, because it does have a significant impact on uh, your retirement. It also does make a significant difference um, how your portfolio is constructed. If you begin taking security Mm -hmm. later in life, uh, then your financial plan needs to make sure that you have income earlier in life 
before you begin taking Social Security. And so you simply adjust the portfolio mix, you adjust the investment mix. Um, but it's not a it it's not a simple question. And uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people want a simple answer. When should I take it? Mm-hmm. And uh, in in some ways, it's simple because you just want to know well, how long do you think you're going to live. But in other ways, it's much more complicated. Now, Adam, off the top of your head, break down for us maybe if you can the the what would you call them like the age brackets? I guess you would say. Um, yeah. So there, there's a couple windows or at least common windows that people think about taking Social Security. Um, one is early, right? Early retirement, which would be 62 for most people. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, most of the folks that at least that I run into that that fall into this, this category are people that probably don't have just the sheer amount of assets that they need uh, to get them you know, to that, that full, at least full retirement age. So, um, they, either they've been forced into an early retirement situation, they have health issues that's caused them to retire early than expected. There's a lot of reasons why you would be looking at taking it early, but typically, um, it's not, at least from a mathematical perspective, it's not an ideal situation as with everything that we always talk about. There are caveats to that. If you have a much shorter than expected, uh, uh, life expectancy, obviously, then maybe there's a reason to take it at 62. But by and large, that's not going to be the optimal scenario. So that's the first window. The second window is full retirement, which varies based on your age. Right now, most people fall into about a 66, 66 and a half years full retirement age. Uh, and that's where you get 100% of the benefit that you've paid into. Mm-hmm. So at the, it's usually for the average person, the earliest you would want to look at taking it. Now, I think one of the things that we're going to talk about today is deferral. So the, the kind of third window is post full retirement age. So anytime after 66 could be the year after, two years after. But for, for conversation's sake, the latest you can take it is age 70. So you can defer up to age 70. And for doing so, you get an 8% increase in the annual benefit each year that you defer. So it's pretty simple. The earlier you take it, the smaller your benefit. At 66, you get 100% of your benefit. And then for every year you defer after 66, up to 70, you get an 8% increase in the benefit. Now, Adam, for my own dumb knowledge, does that mean it's 108 the first year and 116 the second year? Uh, no, that's not how the math would work. Yeah. The, the the idea is it's it's an 8% increase of the benefit each year that you defer. So if your okay. benefit was going to be $100 a year at 66, the year after that, it would be $108. And then you would take 8% of 108 for the year following that. And, that and would you would come up with 116.64. Correct. Gotcha. Just throwing it out there. Uh, but But that is the general idea. And that's that's why it's so powerful. So if you think about it in terms of risk and reward, right? Mm-hmm. If you wanted to say, okay, well, let me take my benefit at 66 and then go invest it, you could arguably get better than 8%, right? I mean, it wouldn't be like last year, for example, if you just invest in the S&P 500, you would have gotten better than 8%. The, the thing is, though, you're taking risk for doing that. The potential for much less than 8%. And even in the negative returns is also possible anytime you're investing in the market. So why it's such a good value is because essentially you're taking zero risk for that 8% increase. 
And you're not going to find anywhere else, you know, at least in the open market, that's going to offer you that. So it's a really powerful tool. And I think one of the things Michael will, will walk us through is what kind of circumstances do you need, right? What does your situation need to look like in order for that to be possible for you? Or, you know, what factors could be available that would prevent you from being able to take advantage of that? So, Michael, is is the rule then, is the rule of thumb always delay Social Security if you can, always? Here's Here's the reality. If you claimed... So let's just use some numbers. If I claim Social Security at age 62 and I get $23, sorry, $2,311 per month, and I just have something pulled up where I'm looking at numbers. So this isn't off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm getting $2,311 per month. The person who waits till full retirement age, and let's say their full retirement age is 66 and 10 months. Uh, they're not getting anything for the first four years and 10 months. So by the time they start claiming, I've already collected a ton of money. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say we both go on a trip at age 67 and five months, and they've started collecting 3262 a month, which is significantly more than my 2311, almost $1,000 more. But on this trip, we rent a scooter and we go careening off mountainside. Well, I collected for five years and they collected for six months. I did, uh, you know, my collection strategy worked better than theirs uh, because uh, the, the sum of what I got was greater than what they got. And the person who was with us, this was a three person scooter. The person who was with us, uh, they were going to wait till 70. They got zero. So it, it, it really is a function of, well, how long is this benefit going to be in place? So if, if you look at it and you say, well, the person who claimed at 62, he got 2311. The person who claimed at uh, full retirement age got 3262. And the person who waited to 70, they got $4,089 a month. Each one of those decisions has an age that if you live to that age, it made sense to wait. So mm -hmm. if you're going to live to uh, age 81, if, if you're going to make it to 81, you're going to get the most money by waiting till 70. That's like, right. that's, that's just saying if I, if I look at the sum of all of the payments that I've received, not, you know, adjust, mm -hmm. not, not like I took them and I invested them and I did better. No, if you just, if you took the sum of all the payments you received, um, if I make it to 81, then I'm, I'm better off having waited to 70. Now, who makes it to 81? Well, at 62, the probability of a male living to age 81 is 57%. So he's more likely than not going to make it to 81. If you're a female, you have a 68% chance of living to 81. And if you have a couple, at least one of you living to 81, the probability is 86%. So wow. the, the math would seem to indicate that for most people, waiting till 70 means that that cumulative benefit, that, that break-even point of 81, that I would benefit from waiting till 70 uh, to get there. 
Now, if somebody's like, well, I've got some health issues, I've got, you know, diabetes or obesity or heart issues in my family, like tons of things can go into making that decision and, and, and it's going to be a different decision for you. But generally, if you think I'm going to live to 81, it's worth waiting. Uh, if you back that up and you're like, well, I think I'm only going to live to 77, then you should claim at full retirement age. Uh, again, probability of living to age 77 for a male, 70% chance. For a female, 79% chance. And for a couple, there's a 94% chance that one of you is going to live till 77. Mm-hmm. So uh, if that's kind of, you know, if you look at your genetics and your your health, that might be uh, the best option. And then if you think to yourself, I'm not going to make it to 77, I've got some health issues, um, then it makes sense to claim it as soon as you can, because that cumulative benefit that you receive, uh, if you passed away at 70, you will have been better off taking it at 62 than you would at a full retirement age. I didn't realize that you'd have to take when you think you're going to die into this equation. Is that that that's right, Adam. Is that what you guys? Is that what you do well, with your clients? Uh, effectively, that's that's what you're doing. The reason you're doing it uh, is what you know. It's it's the math that Michael just walked us through, right? If I get a thousand dollars, let's just make it really simple. If I get a thousand dollars a year at sixty two, and I get fifteen hundred dollars a year at at sixty six, by the time if I'm waiting till sixty six, right, the other person's gotten four thousand dollars. For the four years that they have not, that they've already been taking their benefit, mm-hmm. how many years of the additional five hundred will it take before I've made back that four thousand I gave up for deferring? Right. So mm-hmm. in that example, right, I would need four thousand divided by five hundred, eight years. Exactly, eight yeah. years. So so if you're not going to live eight years, it doesn't make sense. You're not going to have enough time to make back that money. So it's not that we have an obsession with people dying, obviously, but it's just, that's the question you have to ask yourself from a mathematical standpoint. Now, as an advisor, uh, I, I would argue that it's a really important part of the picture, but it's not the only part of the picture. Um, because looking at it in that sterile way, it's a really good starting point And it provides, I think, kind of the framework for the conversation, mm-hmm. but you do have to pepper in like additional factors, additional data to help you make that decision. Um, and, and we can, we can touch that or we can't, but I just want to throw that out there that, you know, (laughs) there are human factors that do influence this decision. It's, it's not as simple as just saying, well, I have a 56% chance of being there. I'm relatively healthy. So I'm going to wait till 70. There are a lot of reasons why you may or may not do that. Right. So if you start with just the, the, the first question I would ask somebody, are you still working? Mm-hmm. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Well, then you might want to delay claiming, especially because there's something called an earnings test. So if it, it, it's not you, if you're working at, you know, 67 and you're like, well, I'm going to take it. Should I take it? Well, no, that's the first question uh, we would ask somebody. Another question that we always want to know is, hey, actually every year of your life, you need an income stream. Do you have alternate income streams? And if somebody's like, no, I need this money, well, then take it. Like, sure, you might maximize your lifetime benefit by waiting till 70, but you can't get from 67 to 70 because you don't have any money. Um, and so mm-hmm. there's 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 a series of questions that you kind of uh, 
walk through with people. And life expectancy is just kind of one of them. Uh, but there are others and, and Adam's right. Like it's not a sterile, uh, you know, it's a sterile, like just, well, there's one answer or, or one thing we want to know, how long do you think you'll live? And so we go through some underwriting process and then out pops the number. That's not really the way that works. Mm-hmm. By the right. way, it also gets vastly more complicated when you start throwing a spouse in. So um, absolutely, it, it is not something let, let's let's just make this very clear. You should not take anything from this podcast and say, oh, these guys think I should do X because you mm-hmm. are a unique individual. These are some general principles like math principles to think through um, before you make a decision. Right. And and I would for the, for the purposes of this conversation, I would just say, let's assume that you're not working. Right. Because for most people, if you're still working unless you're up against like unless you're at 70 and you know you have to take it chances are it's not going to make sense for you to take it unless you just absolutely have to have that income which means we probably need to have some other conversations about what's going on um within your finances but for you know as an advisor i sit with a lot of people and they understand that math like we'll all walk them through that conversation and they'll understand okay makes the most sense long term to wait until 70 but the thing that that assumes, right, mm-hmm. is you're still living during that time. It's not as though you can pause all of your expenses. You, know, you don't want to pause going on trips. You can look at the data that says, you know, earlier is better in terms of travel and for a more active lifestyle. So if you're waiting until somebody gets Social Security, you still have a life that, that has to be paid for and covered. So that's got to come from somewhere. And so most of the time, that means that's going to come from your savings, from your portfolio. And for a lot of people, that can represent an issue. Mm-hmm. Let's just assume you have the assets, right? Let's assume that the amount of assets is not the problem. But there is a big emotional component that comes with getting that Social Security income, right, of having that come in. And so for some people, it might make more sense if you're a marginal case, taking it at 66 or 67 or maybe waiting till 70, it might be more beneficial when all is kind of factored in to go ahead and take it because it might allow you to be more disciplined and more sound with your your money management, with your portfolio management, knowing that you have this guaranteed income stream coming in, Mm -hmm. right? As opposed to if I'm waiting until 70, now I feel all this pressure, right? I am watching my portfolio daily. These fluctuations are making me lose sleep. Now I'm in this situation where I might panic and do something really harmful to the survivability of my portfolio if markets, you know, if we live through a 2020. If you've just deferred, if you're 67 and you just deferred till the next year and it's February of 2020, you know, that's uncomfortable, right? Because now you're looking at a, at a plummeting portfolio value. You have no other streams of income coming in. And now you're in a, in a different situation than you would be if you had taken Social Security. At the very least, you knew you had you know, this set amount of money coming in every single month. So that's just an example of you know, a factor that can influence, even if on paper the math says wait till 70, based on the person that you're working with, based on who you are as a person, that may or may not be the ultimate decision that's made. So this is this – is, uh... Adam, did you have anybody, any of your clients in 2020 who wanted to talk about that in light of what was happening in markets? 
They want to talk specifically about Social Security. Yeah, like should we should we take it now? Like instead of taking money out of our portfolio, because I, I was going to say I actually talked to somebody, not a client. It was a, a friend, um, and we had the discussion uh, around the fact that a an income seeking portfolio should have should be invested in a way that you have uncorrelated assets. So when equity markets are down, you can still pull assets from a place where that isn't essentially a loser in that time period. So um, I think one of the ways that, that I talk to people about it is, hey, your risk tolerance, once you retire and you need income, one of the ways that we can measure your risk tolerance is how many years of income do you want to have safely established yeah built uh, built into the portfolio built into the portfolio right and it's not just in cash because you're but you're you're looking to say hey what do i want that when equity markets tank i can still look at that and be like oh i could i can wait for 5 years for 3 years what's the peak to trough typically been on the rest on this equity portion and does this fixed income keep me alive while that's happening? And if the right. answer is, and, and the answer for any income portfolio, for any portfolio that's been designed for an income seeker, the answer should be yes. If the answer is no, then then you've got a problem because you aren't actually, you, you probably have a portfolio that was designed to accumulate wealth, not to produce right. income. And those are two different things. And so I think this is very similar, though, to the other conversations that we had throughout 2020, where people would, could, in a panic, start making decisions. And it, it's kind of like, well, I'm a very aggressive investor. I want to be in the 80-20 portfolio. And then you get a minute and stuff hits the fan and they're like, ah, pull me out. I'm going to go to cash. Well, you were never supposed to be in that portfolio in the first place. We could have told you historically what this portfolio was going to do under market stress conditions, and it did exactly what we told you it was going to do. Uh, it's kind of like you know people who are like, I'm going to get in this little dinghy and cross the English Channel. It's a lot choppier out there than it looks. Maybe you should get in a big boy boat. And uh, so you know, get out of your 80-20 portfolio, get into your 50-50, and you're going to be you're going to be able to sleep at night. So mm -hmm. that was a tangent. Had, Good tangent. It was a great tangent though. And I, I couldn't agree with it more. And it's something that people need to hear. I mean, and, I, it's the most oversimplified way to look at, and I, I see it all the time is, you know, you'll set out obviously different ranges of portfolios and yeah. the default for a lot of, I hesitate to say inexperienced investors, but but that's kind of what it is, is they just see, they, they look at performance. They don't even care what the time frame is. They don't care if it's rolling or if it's, you know, yeah. they just look at performance, say, what's the biggest number? Yeah. And then they say, well, that sounds good. Nine is better than 7.8. I'll take the nine without any consideration for it. And obviously that's why we're there is to kind of dive deeper. But I think for folks listening to this podcast that might be managing their own money, it's really important to understand that there's a reason returns are lower on different portfolios. That's you know, raw returns, raw performance is one measure. It is one measure, and it is not the most important measure, especially for someone in retirement. Yeah. 
Well, and I think the other thing that's important, if you're measuring your own, if if you're managing your own portfolio, and I think we have a lot of people who listen who are because, you know, yeah. kind of our heritage. And, and that's awesome. The one thing that I would say is stress test and there's tools. And if you don't, if you don't know what the tools are, hit us up. We're happy to share tools with people and say, hey, go here. There's there's public stuff. But stress test your portfolio and, and then ask yourself the question, would I be okay with this? So for instance, we recovered from from you know the COVID uh, pandemic, the the market stress associated with that, we recovered remarkably quickly. And if you stayed in the market, you might think, yay, that's great. Here's the thing that I would ask people, did you make adjustments when we were down or, or, or at any point, did you make adjustments? Because if you made adjustments, it, what that should tell you is I wasn't comfortable with the boat that I was in. I, I made adjustments because I didn't like that boat. Now, mm-hmm. Some people that I know got out of boats and got onto paddle boards. They were so aggressive. They were like, this is awesome. Fine. If that's you, if you're like, no, I got more aggressive. Great. But if in the middle of COVID, you were like, hey, I'm pulling my money because I can't sleep at night, then then think about where would you want to be, stress test a portfolio, figure out how far, how much of a loss could I have sustained and still produced income if I need to produce income or slept through the night if I just need to sleep through the night. And remembering that those sleeping through the night, uh, you know, the, the attempt to sleep through the night was also compounded by the fact that we all thought that there was a bug that was about to, you know, fly through the air or off the grocery cart or, I mean, you know, we were all Lysoling our groceries in the garage before we brought them in the house. So you took all right. of that and you compounded it and you said, oh, and now I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to be able to feed myself in two years. Um, so that should be very fresh in your mind. And even though we made it in a way, you know, you can say, hey, we made it through um, that that reality of what we went through. Think back through how did I respond and what do I wish I had done differently? And now you can make those changes. Um, Because the other thing I would say, equity markets right now are pretty frothy. And it would not surprise me if we had a 30% correction between now and, you know, the next 12, 18 months. And if you have a 30% correction and you're in a 50-50 portfolio, you're not going to feel it nearly as much as a guy who's in a 90-10 portfolio. So, it's just something to think Agreed. about. And to bring it back to Social Security, like the, that's why it's so important to look at everything holistically. You can't just look at Social Security and say, this is what to do or your portfolio. Because these kind True. of decisions, if you've gone through the work that Michael just outlined, if you've stress tested your portfolio and you know what the peak to trough is and you know that you have duration matched fixed income that's going to pay out you know, over that five years to sustain you, all of a sudden you have so much more let's say evidence in your mind to back up your decision to defer. Right. So now all of a sudden you, you feel much more comfortable, much more sustained, and you're not going to feel that pressure to panic sell or to get out at the worst possible moment or to chase returns at the worst possible time with risky investments, whatever that, that scenario might be. So doing all this homework and, and looking at everything as one collective is massively important to making sure you make the right decisions. Well said. Anywhere else we want to go with this? 
I don't think so. I mean, I, I, we, we got off on a bit of a, of a tangent, but I think Adam drew it back to, hey, Social Security isn't this isolated thing that we consider. Uh, it is part of a, an overall uh, retirement income strategy. And so figuring out um, that answer is really complicated. And, um, you know, there are good sites. Uh, Social Security actually provides a lot of information where you can go. Uh, we'll have links to some of those. Uh, there are free online uh, kind of underwriting calculators where you could say, hey, what, what's my life expectancy? And you can just go out there and look. And, uh, and so if, if, you're, if you're going through this process and you're doing it on your own, uh, we'll provide some resources. And then, you know, obviously, if you're like, hey, I have a question, uh, ask, you know, ask us, ask, ask your advisor if you are using an advisor. Um, we get emails to the, the podcast and we're always happy to answer them. And uh, some of the, the questions we get, we turn into new podcasts. Some of them we just reach back out to people and it's just, Hey, this is something you might want to consider. So if we, if we didn't answer, if there's something else that we could uh, give somebody, please feel free to reach out. Perfect. Uh, so Michael, uh, can people survive on social security only in retirement? I, I think that there's, I mean, that that's kind of a loaded question because the answer could be uh, if you wait till 70 and you have a modest lifestyle, absolutely. Uh, the biggest danger, I think, to ever having a single source of income is that there's there's a number of things. Uh, but one of the biggest ones is tax and policy risk. And by tax and policy risk, we simply mean that your your payments are subject to a bunch of rules that can be changed, that can be voted on, that are beyond your control. So just take this for example, whatever the inflation adjustment is that the government decides to use, uh, that can change from year to year. It does change from year to year. And so yeah. the government for 2021, I think the cost of living benefit increase was 1.3%. Now, what they're saying is essentially, it costs you 1.3% more to live in 2021 than it did in 2020. That may be true, but historically, I think from 85 to 21, that number was 2.5%. And so and the CPI the, just came out and I believe it was higher than 1.3%. Yeah, it was about 4.2. So now you've got for the rest of this year, you're living on 1.3% more than you lived on last year. But we know that the prices are going up a lot more than 1.3%. So the, the policy risk here is just the government has the ability to alter that number. Uh, they, have some, they have some incentives to keep that number low, by the way. Uh, there are times when they have incentives to keep it high, but it, it's just, I liken it, and I've used this analogy before, when I step into a shower and there's one button and you push it and the water that comes out is the temperature it is, it's mm -hmm. the pressure it is, you have no control versus at least if I can do hot and cold. And if it's got the little doohickey at the top where I can flip it and make it, you know, massage or waterfall or that, I, I want more control. I want more options. So the I question see. really isn't necessarily, can you live on social security? Because of course you could, you know, always have a lifestyle that's simply supported by, 
Social Security, I think the question really is, is it the best decision? And I would argue the answer is no. I would argue that too, but I would also say like, I, I, I think the, this question also is very applicable to like pensions. Like, should I take right. the, the full pension or some mix of a lump sum and a pension or whatever? Mm-hmm. Because if you're faced with the question, can I live on Social Security? That's you're, you're going to have to. I mean, unfortunately, there's no button that says convert some of the Social Security to assets, right? Because you're, you're in the boat that you're in at that point. So to, and to Michael's point, of course you can. I mean, from a month-to-month basis, an annual year-to-year basis, you can get your expenses down, especially if you've waited till 70 or at least full retirement. That doesn't mean you've eliminated all the risks, though. And so right. why I say this applies to a pension, and one of the things we walk our clients through when they have these options at retirement for pensions, even though they are becoming less and less common, is liquidity risk, right? So- so even even if you've gotten your expenses down to be under that social security limit, anyone that's been living and supporting themselves for more than two years knows that expenses aren't a consistent, constant flow, right? Mm-hmm. Car transmissions give out, but not every year, not every month. Mm-hmm. Air conditioning, HVAC systems, right? Retaining right. walls, if, if you live on the water, they go out. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Health risks, I think, are probably the most prominent, most common things that pop up. There are these one-time events that are um, disproportionately expensive relative to your income. Mm -hmm. And if you're living solely on Social Security, or in my example, if you fully annuitize your pension, there's no lever to access a one-time amount of money, right? Like if you're getting $3,000 a month, well, what if I just had a procedure done that's going to cost me $4,000 out of pocket? Now, you can do your best to save up and have money on the side, and that's fine and good. But if you're on a fixed income, mathematically, you're limited to how much you can save. So you're very much at risk to the the magnitude and the timing of these one-time events that are going to cost you cost you money. So that's why it's so important to do the hard work of saving early on that we always preach about. Because you know, with a portfolio, guess what? Even if you don't want to, it might not be ideal to go in and sell $10,000 worth of shares. But ultimately... Okay, I will find a way to make up for that down the road. We will adjust. We can reduce our expenses in the future. We can shift the assets around, find a different mix. Whatever the case is, at least you have a mechanism, right, to access that that lump sum when you need it. So that would be my biggest fear for someone living on just Social Security is, you know, there's no way to eliminate that risk. There really isn't. You can hedge against inflation. You can try, but you can't get around the fact that life is going to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I I would give you, I would say that those are two, like when we go through a retirement planning process and we assess risks, those two risks right there would make me say, would make me encourage somebody to think long and hard about saying, I'm going to rely just on social security, which Mm -hmm. again, early in life, you might say, well, I'm going to spend everything. I'm going to spend all my own money. Then I'm going to get to social security at 70 and just take it. But what Adam just outlined and what I outlined or, you know, what the two of us both discussed were two reasons why that might not be your best strategy. You might still delay till 70, but plan on leaving $100,000 so that you can have your own levers to pull or to Adam's point, take care of your liquidity risk. Like if you have a transmission that drops, boom, got it covered. So something to consider. 
Perfect. Uh, anything more on that conversation? I don't think so. Sounds good. I think we covered it. All right. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Yes, sir. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.